On April 30th of 1916, in the middle of World War I, Germany and Austria of the Central Powers decided to move the hands of their clocks ahead by one hour until the following October. The reasoning was to conserve fuel used in producing electrical power by giving them an extra hour of daylight in the evening. Shortly thereafter, upon hearing about this, quote, innovation, the countries of Belgium, Denmark, France, Italy, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Sweden, and Turkey, as well as the Australian state of Tasmania, all followed suit. By the end of May, the Canadian provinces of Manitoba and Nova Scotia, as well as the United Kingdom of Britain and Ireland, had done the same. In 1917, all of Australia and the Canadian province of Newfoundland also adopted the practice that the British and their dominions would thereafter refer to as summertime. Before the war had ended, the United States government had passed the Act to Save Daylight and Provide Standard Time for the United States. The term Daylight Savings Time came into the American lexicon on March 31st of 1918. The law was in effect for seven months and was so unpopular that after the war ended, Congress passed a bill getting rid of Daylight Savings Time, and despite President Wilson's veto of that law, there was a congressional vote to override it. After the law was repealed, some states decided to continue the practice, as did some cities, particularly Chicago, New York, and Philadelphia, which was really weird since Illinois, New York State, and Pennsylvania did not continue observing daylight savings time. During World War II, by executive order in February of 1942, as a measure to save fossil fuel resources used in producing electricity, President Franklin Roosevelt passed year-round daylight savings time, which was repealed on September 30, 1945, shortly after the surrender of the Japanese forces. From 1945 until 1966, there was no federal provision for daylight savings time, but states and localities were free to exercise using the practice at their own discretion. This, of course, was a continual source of confusion, especially for train and bus schedules and later airline flights, as well as the broadcasting industry as their national television schedules began to dominate the airwaves. All of them had to change their public schedules and timetables every time a state or municipality changed its own time, which wasn't set to any single date. In the early 1960s, observance of daylight savings time was incredibly inconsistent, a hodgepodge of time observances, no agreement about when to change the clock. Many business interests were as supportive of standardization, although it became a bitter fight between the indoor and outdoor theater industries. State and local governments were a mixed bag. It all depended upon local favor or disfavor of the practice. Finally, Congress decided to step in and end all of this confusion and established one pattern across the country. The Uniform Time Act of 1966 created daylight savings time to begin on the last Sunday of April and to end on the last Sunday of October. It established uniform times within each time zone and only allowed those states whose legislators voted to stay on standard time to do such. The dates of when daylight savings time is practiced have changed a few times in the past 52 years. During the energy crisis of the 1970s, we practiced year-round DST for a short time. And finally, in 2007, the Bush administration moved the dates here in the U.S. to begin on the second Sunday of March, running until the first Sunday in November. Arizona, parts of Indiana, as well as Hawaii, 
do not change their clocks at all, but they stay on standard time year-round. And everybody thinks that we do this because of the farmers, which is a complete prevarication. Farmers don't give a Uh oh. A farmer's day begins at dawn and ends at dusk. And I know, I've had a few of them as family members. They couldn't care less what the hands on a clock say. So, why in this day and age when energy is plentiful and people are just as likely to work all night long rather than turn off the electricity and go to bed, do we still follow this completely idiotic, disruptive, and sadistic practice that completely jacks up our circadian rhythms? Fact. I know. This is episode 23. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Thank you, Jessica, and hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brews Traveler. I am your host, Alan Tatman, and thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. Coming to you through the fog and haze that is our national nightmare known as turning back the clocks. Uh, Actually, turning back is not so bad. Uh, It's not nearly as bad as moving forward an hour, but they still both really suck. And I do not understand why we keep up this practice. It just jacks everything up. We did it back in the 1970s during the energy crisis, and it worked. It was fine. So I'm going to march up to the Missouri State Capitol and propose a bill to the legislature that they go have us go to daylight savings time and just stay there. I doubt it'll have any effect because I don't have any money to give them. So I am coming to you from the scenic capital of Jefferson City and happy November. Hard to believe that the year is only a few weeks from being over. Before you know it, it'll be Thanksgiving and then Christmas and New Year's and 2019. Uh, I'm already working on uh, planning out our trips for 2019, and I may have a trip uh, even earlier than that. I might be going to the East Coast a little later this month, so keep listening to the podcast to learn more about our planned adventures coming to a brewery near you. And while I have been looking forward to next year, on this week's show... Instead of interviewing a brewer, I'm going to take a look back. I'm going to look at my first tour in Brewlissies, the Brews Traveler RV, last April down to the American Southwest, and we'll have a very special guest joining me, and that's our first segment this week on the show. I also have a report from the official Brews Traveler announcer, Jessica Machetta, who lives in the Denver metro region, and she has been scouting out some gems that she and I are going to visit in 2019. And Tony is back from assignment, and he has a quick look at the international craft beer scene and the growth in the industry uh, beyond our shores. So we've got a lot to unpack this week, so let's get this show on the road. So some of you have been talking to me, and I've had a couple of focus groups down at the pub. And when I say focus groups, what I really mean is uh, friends who are at the pub. Uh, And one of the things that uh, people have been asking is like, yeah, we're really enjoying the interviews with the breweries, but you're not talking a lot about your trips uh, that you've been taking. And you know what? I've been sitting here at home for the last week or so planning out uh, my my trips for 2019, what breweries we're going to go see and whatnot. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool if after, let's see, now it's been, what, seven and a half, eight months 
Marilee and I sat down and we talked about uh, our trip that we took last April, our inaugural road trip with Brulissi's The RV. And so my very special guest this week is my lovely wife, Marilee. Hi, honey. Thank you for doing this. Hi, Alan. <laughs> Marilee, as most of you who know her, she's not as, uh, what do I want to say, she doesn't put herself out there the way that I do. So to get her to sit down and, and talk about the trip, I was really, I was, be honest with you, I was kind of surprised you said yes. <laughs> I didn't really have a choice, I don't think. Well, no. yeah, you yeah, did. No, you had a choice. You could have you said no. You could have said, I don't feel comfortable but with it. But it was a great trip. I uh, want to talk about it. Okay, great. Well, that was our first trip, and we started planning that trip even before we had the RV because uh, a couple of young people that come to the pub, we, we call them our pub kids. We have a number of them. Aaron and Michaela were getting married in Arizona, and they asked me if I would perform the ceremony, which I'm not a, I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I, I just I went to, you know, online. I filled out the thing. I submitted it to the state of Missouri, and I'm qualified to be a celebrant for weddings in the state of Missouri. But anyway, Arizona as well. I had to look it up, make sure it was good in Arizona, and it was. So... We had planned this trip out, and we thought, well, we're, we were looking at getting an RV. We were thinking about it. We'd been talking about it for a couple of years. We hadn't have gotten the RV. I think we probably would have done the same trip. We'd have just rented a car and stayed in hotels, probably. But as it ended up, in March, we did get uh, the RV, and then uh, and then we took off here. The, like, it was the second week of April, I think. And we decided we are going to go down and... I'm going to go back and see some places that I had been to many years before on our way out to Wickenburg, Arizona. So we were going to leave on late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Uh, but that Monday night, we had hosted at the pub um, the state legislative gay pride night. Uh, and also it was sponsored by uh, Representative Greg Razor, who's out of Kansas City. And you guys were having a great time. I was kind of jealous because I couldn't have any drinks and I couldn't, I couldn't hobnob. Finally, I got over about closing time. And then you came home. We loaded up the RV. And you, after just a couple of miles down the road, decided to go lay on the bed. Well, you love to drive at night. I like to sleep. So it worked out perfect. Yeah, I, I, like, I do like driving at night, especially when I'm starting a trip out and getting going. There's less traffic. It's just uh, easier to get going underway. So we, we went down through Missouri. You were sleeping very nicely till we got to Joplin, and I had to load up on diesel because we were down. I turned left and go into a gas station, and the gutters on the street down there, they don't have storm sewers like we have. They have these big gutters, and I hit it. I hit it a little too fast, and out popped the uh, stainless steel French press, <laughs> and it dropped on the glass-topped convection burner. And, I was rudely awakened. And that was an auspicious beginning. Luckily, the uh, burner still worked, uh, miraculously enough, but we had to pick up glass and a bunch of stuff that fell out of the cabinet. So lesson learned, you know, slow down with that. And then that was... Make sure all your cabinet doors are shut. Make sure your cabinet doors are shut and don't put anything that's uh, breakable in your cabinet doors and stuff that'll or break things. So you need plastic and light duty aluminum and stuff like that. Anyway, 
and we left Joplin, of course, uh, crossed into Oklahoma, and I watched the sun rise over uh, northeastern Oklahoma. And, you know, Oklahoma, I think, is in places is very pretty. Northeastern part of the state, it's like rolling hills and uh, scrub trees. It's not like a big forest like you get out of the Missouri Ozarks, except right there on the border. But as you go further, it becomes more and more plains and prairies. And so I don't remember when, I think you got up about the time we hit Oklahoma City. Yeah, probably. I don't remember. Yeah. And then from Oklahoma City, we got off the interstate and we cut down through southwestern Oklahoma, which you'd never been to that part of the country. And I hadn't been back there in, geez, uh, almost 30 years, 20, 26 years. I hadn't been I hadn't been back down there. So then we crossed the Red River, got into West Texas, and we went down to Caprock Canyon State Park. And what'd you think? Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It, um, it's there right across the Red River into West Texas where the Caprock Escarpment comes off the Lana Estacado. Lana Estacado, and I'll get to more on that in a minute, is this huge flat plain over western Texas and eastern New Mexico. But this escarpment, this is where uh, a lot of the streams coming off of the Lano, they've cut down through the... Uh, the shale and the sl- the sandstone, and they've made this canyon. It's the second longest canyon in the United States after the Grand Canyon, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, what? Yeah, I'm glad I saw it before the Grand Canyon because it made me really appreciate it. <laughs> and then I saw the Grand Canyon, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, and and the thing about this park, um, I've been there before when I lived in Lubbock back in uh, the early '80s. I'd went backpacking and camping there when it was just really getting started back then. But since that time, they'd introduced uh, Texas's only remaining buffalo herd into that park. And now that's where they live. And uh, so we got there. And uh, not the, the buffalo or bison, I should say. They're not the only thing that's there. There's prairie dogs. Prairie, there's a prairie dog village. And uh, there was um, there are antelopes and and deer and uh, it's just it's a beautiful spot. Every uh, every camping spot has a shaded pavilion with uh, a picnic table. The only thing that I if I have one complaint about it, and it's not just Caprock Canyon State Park, but it seems like a lot of the state park systems in the South they don't want you to be drinking. The no alcohol policy. We, we had to use red Solo cups while we were sitting out and fixing dinner. And the, the truck that came by for the park truck, and they looked at us, and we were sitting there with our red Solo cups, and I was wondering. What were they going to do, kick us out? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But they, they drove by real slow, and they were looking at us very closely. So anyway, we took a, we took a hike there, a short hike along the rim path of the canyon, and... With Cody. Until we came on the bison. Until we came on the bison. And then we were like, okay, we need to avoid this guy. And, of course, first thing I I did and uh, is I always check for the wind whenever I'm around a wild animal. Which direction is the wind coming? And the wind was coming into my face. I felt the breeze on my face. So I knew he wasn't going to pick up our scent before he saw us. So we just kind of avoided him and walked and got some photographs. And So anyway... I was beat, so about the time it got dark, I was ready to hit the hit the rack. 
Okay. The prairie dogs were <laughs> a treat. <laughs> yeah, they were. They're funny animals. They really are. I mean, they just bark, 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 and then there's a ton they, of them. Oh, there were there were a lot of. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of them. Really funny creatures. The next day, we had a long drive ahead of us. We were going to. Las Cruces. Las Cruces, New Mexico. It was almost 500, no, nah, not quite 500 miles. It was going to be a long day. Uh, we got up, got going, and over the Llano Estacado, and it's just as flat as I remember. Um, big cotton farming area out there because of the Ogallala Aquifer. And uh, we were going to try to stop. I was going to try to stop somewhere in Lubbock because I'd lived there for about a year and a half. And... We thought, well, if we'll stop, we'll stop at a brewery. There's only one brewery in Lubbock County, uh, Plains Brewing Company, and they don't answer their phone, and they didn't answer any of their emails. And I looked online, the Brewers Association statistics, and they're making like 300 barrels a year. So they're, it's, not a, it's not a real big concern. But, yeah, Lubbock hadn't changed any at all. It looked the same as it did when I left it back in the in the fall of 1982. It hadn't changed much at all. And we drove over the Llano Estacado. We stopped right, as soon as we got across the New Mexico border, it was about lunchtime. And we went to this little town uh, just across the uh, t- the New Mexico state line and found this uh, restaurant. Uh, it was a family-owned uh, Mexican restaurant. It was in like it was in like a Bonanza building. It was in a tin building. And went in there, and we ordered uh, we ordered food to go. Chili Rianos, especially, because I always remembered how delicious. Because we had Cody. Yeah, we had Cody. We couldn't go and sit in the restaurant. So we got the Chili Rianos, and we headed on out. It's like, well, where are we going to eat? Well, well, we'll pull into a, a roadside park. Because we'd been seeing them off and on. We thought, ah, sure, there, there's one around here. There wasn't. So we got about five miles, maybe ten miles outside of the town heading west towards Roswell, and there was a gravel dump for the New Mexico Highway Department. So we pulled in there and we ate our lunch. Then after that, we went across, uh, went to Roswell, stopped, got a picture with the alien, the sign coming into town, um, over across the Pecos River and down, and we crossed the uh, Sacramento Mountains, went through the Mescalaro Apache uh, Reservation. Uh, they've got a, a big casino there, and that had grown up. I'd been there, too, back in 81. That had really changed a whole lot. Rio Dosa area is beautiful, and I'd like to go back there and spend more time there in the mountains. It was, it was really pretty. And then we came down into the White Sands Basin. Wow, the, that was incredible. Yeah, the White Sands National Monument. It's this, uh, it's this huge gypsum sand... Uh, dunes and gypsum will it'll dissolve in water so if you get a lot of rain it the gypsum will eventually dissolve and this is why there's not a lot of these gypsum dunes the thing about it is is that it's kind of in a bowl it's trapped and so there's no water running out of that basin and these gypsum sands over years this ancient lake it evaporated and it left the sands and it's just absolutely stunningly gorgeous if you just glanced at a picture of it you'd think it was snow oh yeah and you'd ne- what you like never- on a like a beach right not, yeah. a huge beach huge beach with no water right yeah. and you know one of the things i really liked about it is that uh, they were dog friendly a lot of the national parks they don't want you to take your dogs out on the trails because of encounters with wildlife and they didn't have an issue with that there 
uh, as long as your dog was on a leash, you could go anywhere in the park. And There's probably not much wildlife there, is it? Well, I mean, yeah, but it's going to be small animals mostly. I mean, they're not going to be any large herbivores because there's nothing mm-hmm. to eat, right? And so you're not going to get any, I mean, you might. there might be a few coyotes out there looking for desert rats and stuff like that, but not a lot of wildlife at White Sands. So we spent an hour so there, and then we went on into Las Cruces, and... We were going to go to Spotted Dog Brewing Company. Now, I had tried to set up an appointment with these guys to do an interview, but I got the voicemail when I called the phone number. This is like weeks before, and I'm trying to set up these appointments. And then when I sent an email uh, and a message on Facebook, uh, I got a response on Facebook. I didn't get an email answer. And the response on Facebook, well, I'll ask Jerry, and then nobody ever got back to me. And Jerry's one of the owners, and we ended up meeting him. But we got there. We only had Wednesday night in Las Cruces. We were going to stay in Las Cruces one night at the KOA and then head on to Wickenburg, Arizona, where the wedding was because I wanted to get in there, and we'd have a day to relax and just stroll around Wickenburg and do whatnot. But anyway... Tried to get into Spotted Dog that evening, that afternoon, and there was no place to park. And the the thing, the parking lot was full. There was no off street parking. There was there was no on street parking. There was no parking around there. So okay, well, we're not going to get to make it to Spotted Dog because we're going to be leaving tomorrow morning. We're heading west, and so we found another place, Andale's uh, Cantina, Doghouse Cantina. They're dog friendly. They had a closed and enclosed patio with heat and. Uh, they let Cody come in there, and we went in there and had some New Mexican cuisine. Really good food. So yeah, it was really, really good food. They did have some craft beers mm-hmm. on the uh, on the menu. So they had Santa Fe. I remember they had a Santa Fe. They had an Upslope Lager, and I drank that. That was the first time I drank any Upslope, which we'll get to that in a minute. We think figured, okay, we're get up in the morning. We're heading west. We're heading to Arizona, and in the middle of the night, the wind picked up. It was like, well, tell them what it was like. Oh, I mean, we were rocking all night. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. The wind. It was like you it's were. Like we were in Kansas. Yeah, well, and are on a boat. Yeah. I mean, it was it was rocking all night. We got up in the morning, and looked online, and there were red flag warnings, high wind. They had shut down Interstate Ten at the New Mexico Arizona state line because the winds were gusting up over seventy miles an hour. And so it was shut down. So called Aaron and Michaela, said, hey, we're going to be a day late. We're not going to get there tonight. We're going to get there. We'll get there tomorrow night. We'll try to get there before the rehearsal dinner. And so, but. Yeah, it turned out to be a great day. It turned out to be a great day because we got to go to. Spotted Dog. And they had some really, really, it, it's a small place. It's uh, it's, I think, uh, about 700 barrels a year. Uh, we got to meet Jerry, talk to him, and when I go back, I'll, I'd like to do a, a greater interview with him. Just just spoke to him for a minute, and he says he's got no interest in expanding. He just likes what he's doing. He's he's a, a home brewer that took it to the next step, and you had the one you really uh, liked. The that, white stout. That white stout. It was delicious. It had cocoa nibs in it. Yeah, it was like... You were drinking chocolate, but it was white. It was, it was like yeah. a amber, or light amber color, like um, like almost golden. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty. It was delicious. Yeah, I mean, we got some growlers. Mm-hmm. We did, mm-hmm. and uh, they had some great beers. They you know uh, they had an IPA, milk stout, 
They had a brown ale, Belgian wit, amber, oh, you know, clicking all the buttons. But then they had these specialties. White Stout was one of them. They also had a really, really good ESB, which I drank, uh, called 80 Schilling. They had a farmhouse ale. They had a Dunkelweissen. Uh, they had a Yorkshire gold ale. It's like an English-style uh, ale, tradition ale. But they're just, he's doing really great little little place. He likes to experiment. He likes to make beers that he'd want to drink. But the most amazing thing about the place was he, they had a limit on how many beers you could drink. Yeah. So What's well, a college town? New Mexico State's just down the street. And he he makes a lot of high ABV beers. He doesn't want uh, he doesn't want people to get too drunk and then you know make 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 trouble or yeah, worse yet yeah. you know something terrible to happen. So you know that's kind of that's kind of refreshing. Now he's not selling package. All he's selling is right there. He's you you've got to consume it right there on the premises or get a crowler or a growler and take it home. So that was really kind of. I thought unique in the fact that yeah, and I think they had good food. We didn't eat there, but the, the menu looked like they the had menu good looked food. really good. Don't know why we didn't eat there. I think you had fixed a big breakfast. Oh, that's right. We had had a big breakfast. Yeah, we yeah. Um, but then you know we checked out. There was another brewery there. Mm, not. A, I don't think their beer was as good. Oh. Um, but it, I mean, it was nice. It was just it was, good to check yeah, something else out. Yeah, yeah, I went check good. it. Yeah, you're you're always the one to have the nice things to say yeah, about it was, everything. It was good. They let Cody come in. <laughs> the, you get points for that, right, buddy? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and and so that was our day in Las Cruces. That'd be a great day. And we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had that had it not been for the wind. So we got up Friday morning. Uh, the wind had died down. It was now... Uh, it was still horrible. It was an orange warning, not a red mm-hmm. warning. And that was the worst day of the trip for me. Yeah. And I know it was for you because you were nervous for me. I was driving into a headwind uh, with gust going up to 40 and 50 miles per hour. Uh, we went west through Tucson. And then we luckily, we saw them off on the horizon. We missed the sandstorms. We didn't get into a sandstorm and... Knock on wood, thanks Thanks for that. That would have been nasty. And then after we got to Tucson and we headed north towards Phoenix, the wind started to let down. And by the time we got past Phoenix up into the Sonoran Desert, or I shouldn't say the Sonoran Desert, but the desert there north of, of Phoenix, north and west, it was, uh, it was pretty calm, and it was a beautiful afternoon. We got into Wickenburg a, l- a couple hours before sunset. We went straight to the rehearsal dinner. Uh, we didn't even go to the campground. Uh, Michaela's grandparents have this beautiful home. It's on top of this mountain, looking out over the valley. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely incredible. And that's where the wedding was going to be, there on their patio next to the pool, and just these huge cigarro cacti. And uh, it's just lovely. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And so we went through, the, we did the rehearsal. We had uh, rehearsal dinner. What we decided during rehearsal dinner, uh, we we're just going to put Cody in the RV. Bless his heart. So now, you, one thing you got to know is Cody was the youngest child of three dogs at one time, and now he's an only he's an only dog. But we had gone, we'd rented an RV a couple of years previously, and we our corgi Boo Boo. He kind of. Cody always took his hints from Boo Boo. If mm-hmm. Boo Boo was upset, Cody was upset. Boo Boo was calm, 
Cody was calm. And so we left them. Boo-boo marked, Cody marked. Yeah. And I mean, he always took his, he took his cues from Boo-Boo, who was the older dog. And so when we went out to Wyoming in that rented RV, we left them in the RV together. We didn't have any issues. Mm -hmm. We left him this time, Cody, all by himself in the RV, and we had not yet done that. And I thought, well, there won't be any problem. He'll just lay down on the floor. He'll be okay. He'll wait. We went back, opened the door, and he had uh, he, he had gotten up on the table <laughs> in the RV. He pulled the table off of its moorings. Um, tore the screen. Tore the screen, that. trying to get out. And That's so, yeah, so we learned really quickly that, um, yeah, that wasn't going to work for him. So the rest of the trip, we planned it around that. Mm -hmm. So... We stayed at a place down in Wickenburg, a beautiful campground. It's a desert cypress RV park. It was really nice. The next day, Saturday, we went and we got some things over at the over at the grocery store at the local market. And, and then that evening, I went to the wedding. And you, because of Cody's anxiety issues, you stayed at the campground that evening with 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 Buddy there. Yeah. So had a good day. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, Aaron and Michaela were missed you at the wedding, but they understood. And I got to see everything at the rehearsal. The, that was like the big party the night before. So it was fine. So then Sunday we got up, and this was one of the best days uh, of the trip as far as driving goes because there was hardly any wind, and we driving north out of Wickenburg, and we went up over the Weaver Mountains into Prescott and Prescott Valley through the desert and through the through the mountains and gorgeous and through Cottonwood, Arizona and up through Sedona, which is, I, hmm. there's a place yeah. I want to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, it was neat looking. I mean, it was just a really neat looking community and there's a lot to do there. And then just north of Sedona, Oak Creek Canyon. Well, it's a beautiful canyon uh, and it's a, there's a, it's in the Coquino Coconino, excuse me, Coconino National Forest, and there's a lot of state park and state land and state forest land and national forest, and it's just gorgeous. It's like you're driving through this oasis in this really steep-sided, deep canyon, and you've got this bubbling white water stream coming down through the canyon, and there are trout fishermen there, and there's big cottonwood trees, and just... A lot of shade, really cool. And you don't realize it, but you're going from a basin up to a plateau as you're driving up the canyon. And there's a difference there of about 2,500 feet from the place where you start. And then when you get up onto the Colorado Plateau and Flagstaff, you're at 7,000 feet. And you don't even realize that you've, you've climbed that amount of time. And so you come up out of Oak Creek Canyon, and then you're on the Colorado Plateau which is the same plateau that the Grand Canyon cuts through, just about two and a half hours to the north. But we come up and into Flagstaff in one of the world's largest ponderosa pine forests. And we go into Flagstaff, and we go check out Dark Sky Brewing. Now, we had an interview the next day with Nick. He's one of the owners there at Dark Sky. Matter of fact, Nick has his own podcast called The Bruise Trail, which is really pretty cool. Nick's a very, he's an outdoorsy guy. He's a rock climber. He's a hiker. And uh, his podcast, they talk about 
you know, the outdoor recreational activities around the Flagstaff area, as well as the beer there at the brewery. And uh, what did you think? Yeah, it was it was great. They had really good beer. They had food truck. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, dog friendly. Dog friendly. Yeah. I mean, in the play, it was a Sunday afternoon, and like I said, we weren't going to talk to Nick until the next morning. And the place was packed, and there was all these students from uh, Northern Arizona. We got like flights. Yeah, like, yeah, we beer. had flight. They had the, to and, try them all. Yeah, they had they had some great beers. The coffee talk. The coffee talk. Coffee yeah, that coffee that brown talk. coffee brown ale was really really was good. But they had an imperial. They had a double IPA, a hazy pale, a New England Brett. Saison, uh, West Coast IPA, Imperial, clicking all the boxes and then doing some like like experimental stuff. I mean, Nick, he's a science teacher. He's a science teacher. He like he is a mad scientist and, and he likes to try different things. And uh, it was uh, it it was a cool place. Yeah, the design was great too. They they have right. a designer as one of their partners. Yeah, one of their partners was a was a uh, interior design person and a graphic artist, and so. They, it's really kind of a funky, cool place. Lots of students, dog friendly. There were young families there. They had their kids. It's just it's busy, and everybody was just loving it and having a good time and being friendly. And it was it was just a really, really great way to cap off one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. drives that I've taken in years. Um, coming up from yeah, wanted to spend more time in Flagstaff. You might be able to spend almost a week there just hanging out and checking out things and doing side trips. And of course, Flagstaff gets a lot of traffic because of its proximity to the Grand Canyon. And we stayed at the KOA. One of the things about when I go by myself on these trips, I kind of just pop in wherever I can or whenever I need to someplace. Well, merrily, when we go together, we like to have a campground because we have all the amenities there, you know, they have the water, the electrical hookup, we've got, you know, it's safe and it's, you know, it's just clean and got everything you need. It's really nice. We have Wi-Fi. If, if we, <laughs> although we've kind of gotten around that because we've got that box. Yeah, we've got a KT&T router. Picks up. If it gets, Usually. If, if it can get a, a strong enough cell signal, then we've got, we've got internet. Right. I had to do payroll. Had to get payroll done with yeah. the Wi-Fi, so yeah. we had that was that's one of the necessity. That's one of the things that we have, you know, we have found out in, as we do more of this, and we are we're still doing our work. Marilee still doing her work at the pub. We got to have Wi-Fi to keep in touch and s- cell phone service and everything. So to be location independent, we have to have those things. So, but Flagstaff, uh, the KOA there is really nice. It's ponderosa pines everywhere. Next day. Uh, that would have been Monday morning, got up, went over back over to Dark Sky, had beer for breakfast, had a talk with uh, Nick, and that's uh, episode number five, Dark Sky Brewing, of the podcast, if you want to go back and check that out. Like I said, Nick is a really, he's a really creative guy, he's a lot of fun, he, uh, he was great to talk to, and uh, Dark Sky Brewing, Flagstaff, Arizona, put that on your list of places that you're going to go to. And then after we were done talking to Nick, we went to... The Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon. I had been there before, but you never had. I have never been there. So what was your impression when you first saw it? Well, you know, I had expectations, but it it 
was way above and beyond my expectations. It was absolutely... I expected probably what we saw at Caprock Canyon uh-huh. for the Grand Canyon to be. Right. So, yeah, it was it was incredible. It just blows you away. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, photographs never do it any justice, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and that's like anything. I mean, and anywhere I've been, like the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, uh, it, the fo- photographs just don't do the Grand Canyon justice. It's just so yeah. massive. And, you know, and... The winds came back, so we didn't get to spend as much time as I forgot about that. I for oh, the winds were blowing hard, and there were these young people that were getting out near the edge, and I'm like, all it would take is one rogue blast coming out of the south, and you're done. And uh, but they would they were if the rangers were walking around they didn't but if there weren't any rangers around these young that's like just means we need to go back yeah. So anyway, that yeah, we went back to the KOA that evening, and that was a hard drive getting back there because the winds picked up, and it's about two hours from Flagstaff to the canyon. Flagstaff's a dark sky city. It's considered to be one of the best places in North America to look at, uh, at the night sky. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And, Hence the name, Dark Sky. Hence the name, yep. It is. It's it's a great town, Flagstaff. I really, really want to go back. The next day, Tuesday, we drove from Flagstaff to Santa Fe. We were going to Santa Fe Brewing on Wednesday. We had an appointment set up. And on the way, we stopped at the Petrified Forest National Park and the Painted Desert, which... Everything after the Grand Canyon just kind of... <laughs> yeah, it was still really... It was pretty. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty, and it was kind yeah. of neat. neat, And, you know, in a very, very stark way. That's one of the things about the American West that just amazes me is that it's just such wide open spaces, and it goes on. It seems like, you know, well, it seems like it goes on forever. You get out there, you get out in the desert southwest and in the uh, Rocky Mountain states, and it's just big and open and absolutely beautiful. So we got to Santa Fe. We we got to, we had RV park there, Santa Fe Skies, and I'm glad we picked that RV park. There was another one that was down closer to downtown. This one was closer to the brewery. That's why I picked it. But it was out on the edge of town, so there weren't a lot of street lights at night. Mm-hmm. And you could look up and see the Milky Way. It just looked like a river of stars going across the sky. Yeah. And I, you, that's another thing. You have to go out there to see that. Yeah. It was gorgeous. And it got, got pretty cool that night. And uh, you're, again, Santa Fe's up at 7,000 feet, like Flagstaff. And uh, it, I... I think Santa Fe is just one of the most neat places that I, I've ever been. I've said many, many times, if I could make a wish and just live anywhere I wanted, Santa Fe would be one of those places that would be on that list. It's just so neat. And we, I agree. Yeah. The next morning, we met with Jarrett Babinsack and Bert Boyce, and Bert's the head brewer, Jarrett's the head marketing guy. And... Um, that is episode number two. That was our second episode that we did on the podcast. You should go back and check that out if you have it. And really, it was really, really great conversation with those guys. It was, uh, I, I learned a lot about interviewing by interviewing those two guys. That was only my second show. And uh, I, I learned a lot from them, just talking to them. And when I say I learned a lot, they were very, very open and technical about what it 
just going on and brewing it, gave me a sense of, okay, what kind of questions should I ask when I talk to other breweries? And then when we were done with the interview, we went down into Santa Fe, down into the old town, and we spent the afternoon there. And I wish if we'd have done one thing while we were in Santa Fe that we didn't do. Uh, first off, I, I would have liked to have gone to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. Mm, yeah, which, me too. Uh, but we had Cody, right. and so we would have had to take turns. We have done that before, yeah. and we probably should have. We had one of us, because it was a beautiful day, one of us sat out and watched him while the other one took an hour and go through the museum. We've done that before. Um, and the other thing I wish we'd done is I wish we'd have gone back to the brewery that, that night. night. Yeah, back to... I, you know, I think we were exhausted by we that were. point. We were. We had been running pretty hard. Yeah, it was great. I mean, because I've been drinking Santa Fe beers for a long time. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've had them at the pub. The Lust Garden was the one. Oh, yeah. And I had been, like, begging the Fectals to get that so that we could have that on tap because everything that I read about it was, and it was amazing. Right. And they got it for us after that. Right. Um, just a really good beer. Just, and all the beers are really good. The, it, the Porter. Yeah. Which is yeah, great. Yeah. Um, the Nut Brown, of course. Right. And, I'm drinking, I've been drinking a lot of that at the pub. We've got their Oktoberfest on now. We're getting um, towards the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, a great brewery, great beers. Good people. Yeah. I'll tell you, this is how down to earth they are. We pulled up there, and I was looking for Jarrett, and there's this guy, and he's out yeah. there. He's weed eating. Yeah. All right? He's got the weed eater. He's out there doing the gardening. There's a guy out there doing the gardening, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, um, I need to talk to Jarrett. So, oh, sure, hang on. He got his phone, and I said, Jarrett, you know, Alan's here, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then... Uh, get inside there talking to Jarrett and Bert and he's like, Oh, I see you met the owner. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was no, he he was so what a great guy. He yeah, I mean, down he, to earth he's out there. yeah, down to earth. He's out there doing the you know, doing the weed eating and the gardening. And uh I, I just thought that just amazed me, you know, this New Mexico's largest brewery and the owner's doing his he's doing the yard work. Yeah. So their uh their tasting room, they're they're new tasting room is like it looks like a cantina out of mm -hmm. the old south it's like it's uh you've got a courtyard and it's got a uh a wooden fence palisade around it and it's got the uh the it's kind of got this plaza feel and the southwestern style architecture with the tile roof and it's just really cool place and uh i wish we had hadn't been so exhausted. I'd yeah. like to have gone back. It just there. means we need to go back. Yeah, I'd like to have gone back and spent uh, and spent the evening there. After that, the next day we was another great, beautiful drive. We drove up from Santa Fe up through the Rio Grande, the Upper Rio Grande Valley, uh, into uh, over to Taos. And there's a place that I want to go and spend a couple of days. Is Taos, New Mexico? It's just such a neat looking spot. It's uh, the history of Taos, and especially connected to Missouri because of the Santa Fe Trail, uh, there's always been a connection between Franklin, Missouri, which is just right up here on the Missouri River, about 35, 40 miles from here. That was where the Santa Fe Trail began, and it ended up going through Taos and down into Santa Fe. The history there is just really rich. So I'd love to go back and spend a couple of days in Taos. We went into uh, southern Colorado over the Spanish Peaks onto the front range of the Rockies and up to Colorado Springs. It was a long drive, and then 
it was com compounded the aggravation from the long drive is when we got there and trying to get to the campground. Uh, <laughs> the road was torn up. They well, had even more fun than that was the the Uber driver that we got. Oh, she's <laughs> that he he couldn't find us at the campground. Right, he couldn't get there. Couldn't get there because it's hard. He was yeah. Yeah, he, it was it was a mess. They they had the the between the campground there they had it uh, they had it all torn up the road uh, in front of the campground. So I know what you know. They're trying to get everything done in April be, before the throng of summer tourists come in. But it was just it was a mess. And we went to this cool little brewery that night called uh, Fossil Craft Brewery. And the the kids there and I I call them kids. They're a young couple, Josh and Megan. And they're making some really funky, delicious beers. I mean, it's a small place. I mean, I think they're doing maybe 400, 300 or 400 barrels a year. They're making these really delicious beers. There was one there. What was that? That was like... It's and like, they it, let us taste oh, things that they didn't even have, like a yeah, sour that was yeah, really yeah, delicious. Yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't even have it on tap yet. Yeah. He, went and, he went and got it out of the barrel. Yeah. For us, and it was it was so good. And I did an interview with them, but I didn't have the right kind of equipment there. And we were there late. They were really really busy. It was a small uh, a small uh, area. There was a lot of background noise, and the uh, interview came out terrible. I called Megan up and I said, "Hey, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to come back." Yeah. And so we, we, yeah, we so go we got to go back. Yeah. So we went up to uh, stay with our friends Bryant and Deidre in Berthoud which is just north of Boulder. And we, we got a real bed and, and a shower for two nights. And we had, we, we, had, we had dinner with them and drank a lot of beer. You know, they, they're like family. Bryant Deidre Fuchs, they're, they're like family with us. They've been friends of ours for a long time. They moved out to Colorado. Yeah. One of my favorite things, Starbucks. We finally got to taste the nitro-infused coffee at Starbucks in Denver when we were driving through. Uh-huh. Delicious. I don't know why it's not everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's it was so creamy and so so good. I I tried some one time. I'm not a fan. And where? I well, I was traveling around. I thought, okay. Uh, no, I'm, I was. I'm definitely a fan. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not a fan, but you know me. I'm when it comes to my coffee, I'm pretty yeah, bare want, bones, yeah. right? No, I want it. it yeah, delicious. I love Starbucks coffee, but I like mine just kind of pretty much americano with an extra shot. And I'm good. Yeah. Never get you to do a pumpkin spice. No. Yep. Pumpkin spice latte. Somebody ought to be thrown in jail for that. So anyway, we got up to Berthoud and we spent a couple of nights with Bryant and Deidre and their kids, uh, Ray and Taylor. It was like catching up again. It was like we hadn't, we hadn't missed a beat. We'd seen each other. It'd been months. Yeah. We drank Santa Fe beer. Yeah. We drank Santa <laughs> Fe beer. Uh, and uh, we, uh, Bryant, they fixed dinner on Friday night, and then uh, Saturday night, then we we kind of helped with fixing dinner. And in between, we went over to Upslope at their Flat, Flat Iron Park Brewery, Upslope Brewing Company there in Boulder. And a couple of my friends from college that live there, they came and meet us, and we did an interview with Matt and Danny. And that's episode number six, guys, if you want to go back and listen to that. And uh, it, they've got a great story, too. And I was actually supposed to be there this past weekend. I told Matt I was going to come back for their 10th anniversary. But uh, with 
just getting over this respiratory thing, it was probably not a good idea to get back out on the road and stress myself out. And called him and said, you know, we're going to be back in the spring. We're going to make sure we stop in. We hung around there for a little while after the interview, and it was a Saturday afternoon, so they were they had a lot of business, and I got to singing songs, and next thing you know, we, anyway, it was a great time. It was a great afternoon, and uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, their company there. And then the next day, Sunday, we just got up and headed home, and we were we decided that, well, we're just going to drive as far as we can. If we can't make it home, we're going to stop somewhere. And we went from Bertha to Topeka. It was getting dark at Topeka, and we pulled into a campground there. And then we were up the next morning, bright and early. We were home by noon. So that's the trip. Your thoughts on the the whole thing? No, it was a great trip. It was. I saw a lot of things that I've never seen, one to see. And then, like the breweries were like mm-hmm. the, the beer tasted beers that great beers. Right. Um, just that. They're doing so much new stuff, and that you can't, we can't get on tap. Right. Uh, which is the great thing. We, I mean, we get as much unique beers that we can, but there's so much that we just can't get. What was really nice about going to these different places, even the small ones, is just to see the passion that these people have uh, for their craft and and uh, what they're doing. Now, I I know there's some bigger breweries in Colorado I could have gone to. That's uh, the same thing in Arizona. There's sure. some bigger breweries, but I was starting out the podcast, and I wanted to start small, and you know, and and well, and that's and, the thing. These little ones, we can't get those beers. Those right. bigger ones, we can't right. get a beer. You right. know, and people know what they are. Right. It is the little ones that are doing so much different stuff. Right. Is is great. If like if you're a true beer lover, you're going to want to try all the new stuff. I want to thank, you know, uh, Spotted Dog, Dark Sky, Santa Fe, Fossil, uh, and uh, Upslope for being such great hosts while we were on our trip. So, yeah, it was a great trip. And so we're sitting here in Jefferson City. We're planning out 2019. I'm looking at some other things. So many breweries, so So, time. I know. I know. So anyway, thanks, Marilee. I appreciate your uh, thoughts and uh, your input on our inaugural The Bruise Traveler 1.0 tour, (laughs) Southwest Swing. So thanks, honey. You're welcome, Alan. (laughs) All right. One thing you guys have got to understand about my wife is that, I mean, I she just doesn't like doing that stuff. And I really appreciate her coming on and talking about the trip because we had such a great time. I'm going to put a bunch of photographs from the trip on Instagram and the Facebook page. And you can find those at the Bruce Traveler Podcast. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you're familiar with this voice. It's my dear friend, Jessica Machetta, who's coming to us from Denver, Colorado. How are you today, Jess? I'm great. Great to hear from you, Alan. And of course, the beer is always flowing out here in Denver. So I'm excited to talk about my latest finds. <laughs> I, um, you know, I was supposed to be there. You and I were supposed to get together this weekend. I was going to be out uh, for Boulder's Upslope Brewing Company's uh, 10th anniversary. Unfortunately, uh, my sinuses said, nah, you should stay home. But uh, it's it's on the calendar. 
to get out there uh, after the first of the year. I'm thinking maybe late February uh, or after St. Patrick's Day. But um, I if you're if we're all still alive after St. Patrick's Day, we'll plan on that. <laughs> you know, I was I was thinking about how long we had known each other. You and your daughter Claire were like the only people that ever attended uh, our first St. Patrick's Day parade. Uh, you thing about Jefferson City that you need to know, folks, it's a very German Catholic town. There's a, a few of us Irish people running around, but we had our first uh, St. Patrick's Day parade back in 2001. And Jessica and her daughter, Claire, uh, stood there on the uh, curbside. And I think Claire got all the candy because she was the only little she girl. She was the only one. So that would have made her about four years old. That was a long time ago. That was, a long, that was a long time ago. Long, it, long it ago. It blossomed into quite the spectacle. I'm happy that we were among the front runners because it's become a really time-honored tradition that more than one child attend these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's in for those of you, if you want to know, it's the first, it's the Saturday before St. Patrick's Day every year. So every anyway, year. Um, Jess, tell us about, uh, you've been out in Denver now for a year and, year. and you know, you and I have always been craft beer nerds going way, way back. Uh, but you've discovered uh, some breweries out there and you said you got a report on three of your favorites. So I do. Um, so we're going to go from big to small. Okay. And, um, the, the, my, the first brewery that I really like, and I'm sure it's, it's a, a common name. Lots of people know, and it actually, they started in Bend, Oregon. It's 10 barrel brewing. They now have five breweries. One of those being here in Denver in the Rhino district. Rhino, um, stands for river North art district. And, you know, <clears throat> sometimes a brewery, just like any real estate, it's all about the location. Um, this is just such a cool little area. Um, anybody who likes the Cherokee District in St. Louis would really like this area. Okay. So, so Tin Barrel has a place down there in the Rhino um, District. They've got 24 beers on tap. All of them are brewed on location. Rooftop patio, full kitchen. All of their ingredients are sourced locally. Um, and, you know, when you're going to have that many beers you have to sample, you better get some food in your belly. And that's why, why this place also just shines as a as an establishment. They've got beer muscles, steak and gorgonzola nachos, burgers, fish tacos, meat and salmon salad that I could curl up and die happy with. Um, <laughs> and then to top it off, you're in, you're in the Rhino area where these fantastic murals just grace dozens of these old brick buildings. And. Uh, lately, of course, Lime Scooters reign supreme there. So it's just a really cool area. It's got a, a, a real interesting vibe. But they have, um, you know, kind of your kind of your beer menu that is is made to be a crowd pleaser. Um, one of their beer names is called Basic Betch. I haven't tried it, and I don't know if I want to. Um, but I did stumble on a really amazing beer. They're, they're called Cucumber Crush. Oh, yeah. And I, I am not a fruity beer person. I like my beer to taste like beer. Um, kind of like I like my coffee to taste like coffee, you know? Right. Um, and, and this one might've been made to be a crowd pleader, a crowd pleaser and including the virgins of the sour craze. Um, but I sort of ordered one while on a whim, we were there watching college football surrounded by lots of Clemson fans who were nice. And a lot of Michigan fans who were not. Um, <laughs> and my first, my first thought was that it was surprisingly amazing because I really just, you know, didn't really expect a lot from a beer called Cucumber Crush. 
but I got to tell you, I, I had, I'd already polished off three by halftime and everything after that's a little hazy. I think we did win the game. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, they've kind of got these, these lighter beers that I think might surprise some of us who prefer something on the heavier end of the spectrum. So this, um, this cucumber crush, is this like, it's, it's a, it's a sour? It is a sour. Okay. Um, and it's got, it's got a low, um, alcohol, uh, so you know, weight to it. So yeah, kind of like a Berliner Weiss then. It, it is. And yeah. you know, my first thought was this would be dangerous on a float trip. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And they also have a raspberry crush. I didn't try that one. Um, I really don't want to, I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> cucumber crush was already a stretch for me, but, um, they've got a couple of other exciting brews on tap right now. One, the femme de la rouge, which was inspired by old school Belgian sours. Um, and the Tin Barrel Brewers said they spent three years on this beer, bringing it to perfection. It used two types of wild yeast. It's a really interesting concoction, and seems like they hit the mark on that one. And they've got a new seasonal beer called Pray for Snow. Right. And um, I haven't tried this one yet, but I wanted to give it some props because they are pairing with a group called Protect Our Winters with this brew. So 1% of all Pray for Snow profits go to Protect Our Winters and keeping our winters out here nice and white. Um, as they say there at 10 barrel to make sure your prayers for deep days face shots are heard. Um, you know, and, and um, that's, something, yeah. that's something about all of the Colorado breweries that I've noticed. Um, and, and this is not to say that other breweries around the country are not, but I think that the Colorado breweries just simply because the environment, the outdoor recreation aspect in Colorado is so important that these Colorado craft brewers have really tuned in to support local uh, restoration and protection of the of the environment of the outdoors of the climate and I think you know it's really reflective in the lifestyle that is uh, out there on the front range of the uh, of the Rocky Mountains it is we, we like people to drink beer and then feel really good about that so you know I mean <laughs> right that's that's one way to do it you know you're just doing your part for your your civil duty and um you know, go in and have a beer and 1% goes to uh, the beautiful mountains and snow around us and then go play in that. And it's true that people here are very active. There's um, an active atmosphere. And so I think the beer culture, of course, would, you know, be a big proponent of that. Um, Another interesting thing I noticed about this place, Alan, was Mm -hmm. that they, all of their kegs and all of their equipment um, says Budweiser on it. So I asked them about that, and they purchased Budweiser's used um, equipment to to you know for their product and right. for distribution and stuff. Refurbish it, it's, yeah. Yeah, so a uh, little little St. Louis in the house for you. Yep. Um, and then for the less adventurous, there they have, I thought this was cute. They simply have a beer, and it's just called Pub Beer. It's a basic lager it's served in a 12 ounce can. It says requests for a glass will be denied. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's 5%. Yeah, if, um, so if you're going to you're going everyone. Yeah, if you're going to drink a canned lager, there's no point in pouring it in a glass. You know, right, there. right. I so, should say a run of the mill lager. So, absolutely. 10 10 barrel, where are we up off to next? Uh, next, um, we're going to go to this little brewery in the Park Hill neighborhood. It's called Long Table Brew House. Okay. Um, and it is truly a neighborhood brewery. There is nothing else but but residential uh, in this area. So they've got a 75-person patio, dogs allowed. Um, actually, they say well-behaved children and dogs are welcome. <laughs> 
Um, Usually and, the, and do the dogs are better behaved. The, in the dogs field. are better yeah. behaved. Um, they're tucked back in North Park Hill in this residential area um, to this old building that was a Piggly Wiggly in the 50s. It was a coffin manufacturer in the 60s. What? And uh, these guys, yeah, these guys just opened up a little brew house this May. Um, okay. And so they, uh, they've got really good beers. They also have Happy Leaf Kombucha on tap and food trucks. You'll see a lot of little kids running around. Like I said, it's kind of tucked back in a neighborhood. Um, recently, they had a Halloween event. You could bring the family by. Um, for 20 bucks, they would provide you with a pumpkin carving supplies and a one long pour for the parents. If you go in uh, and wear your I Voted sticker, they'll also give you uh, some some deals on pours on Election Day. So very, nice. very neighborhood oriented. Um, and they sh they shake up their menu quite a bit. They've got a spiced pumpkin ale right now, of course. Uh, porter aged on Madagascar vanilla beans and cocoa nibs. And then my oh. favorite there is, is the hazy IPA. They've okay. got, you know, of course, a few IPAs on tap. And the hazy, in my opinion, is the way to go. But I think that this place, and I, I hope this is a trend, um, where they're opening, like I said, in these kind of old uh, buildings in the middle of residential right. areas where no one shops anymore because everyone goes to big box stores. But this place really is a neighborhood brewery, and I, I think that um, this is a trend that we might see continue as things become more and more you know, gentrified, even though that is kind of a dirty word. Park Hill is an interesting area because it's sort of on the line where um, you go from very affluent to very poor in the span of just a few blocks. And right. Park Hill is sort of that, you know, in-between area with modest little homes and, you know, lots of families. And so this this brewery, Long Table, certainly plays to their audience. Like I said, the kids usually outnumber the adults on any afternoon you stop by there. So, <laughs> um, And they, they do a mean crowler business. I'll tell you what. Oh, I bet. Families stop by and <laughs> you call ahead and, right. um, you know, they'll, 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 pop anything into a crowler for you and send you on your way they've got they're a seven barrel brew house okay um they've got seven barrel fermentation tanks they're housed in the basement it's in an uh like i said a 1920s building um you're definitely just not going to happen upon this unless you're visiting someone who lives in park hill so well, i'm looking yeah i'm looking forward to you taking me there when i come out in the spring now you have one more place that you want to talk to us about and when i saw your note it said louisville and i thought why is she talking about a brewery louisville. in kentucky but it's not and no and, and it's also pronounced louisville louisville <laughs> it is it's louisville right so louisville is sort of halfway in between denver and boulder okay um and it began as a, a really rough little mining community in 1877 went through all kinds of labor violence in the 20th century. Finally, the mines closed in the 50s. So what you have left is this very historic little town that has held on to its heritage hard and fast. In fact, there the historic Louisville slogan is just like it was in 1878, but with better restaurants. Nice. So, <laughs> um, it's population about 18,000, tiny little town. Um, but there is a, a little brewery there called Crystal Springs Brewing, and they get so crafty um, again with their fruits. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to be challenged because I have always hated fruit beer, and well, now these people was, are doing really good stuff with it. Right. There were so many bad fruit beers for a long time. They, you know, they were making beers to taste sweet. What has happened? What I've noticed over the last decade or so is that because I didn't like 
fruit beer, if it had a fruit association with it at all, blackberry, raspberry, currant, anything like that. It was like, I don't like those kinds of beer. Now I've taken my own advice and it's like, you should try it. And what they've Seriously. done, yeah, you get the, what I've noticed in a lot of these beers is that you get the fruit kind of aromas and the esters, but you're not getting that, you that's not sweet. It's they're they're refreshing. That's what I'm noticing. Absolutely. Um, so I, I went into this place and um, they're happy to give you a taste. And like I said, their menu is so interesting. Um, I tasted many of them and I was so pleasantly surprised. They've got a blood orange Kolsch, which is amazing. Right. Um, they have a Belgian ale called the Naughty Maryland, which I also really like there. A cherry Saison. They've got a salted Ooh. chocolate stout. Yeah. Um, yeah, you would like this place. Oh, I would. Um, I would. And again, it's, it's out in Louisville. Um, they've got one out at the Colorado Tech Center. They've got another one downtown. Um, Louisville has an adorable downtown. It's not your Johnny-come-lately suburb of greater Denver. It's an actual historic town that has become a suburb, but still has all of its history. So great little place kind of on, off the beaten path where I'm you're look- definitely not. Huh? I'm looking at their website right now here and... They've got some, I mean, really cool-looking beers. They've, Mandarin Orange Sour. Yeah, they've got some. Uh, they've got a white IPA called May Blizzard. They also do a house-made root beer with zero alcohol. Um, but, yeah, just <laughs> some real craftsmen here at this yeah. place. And, uh, you know, Louisville is not probably where a lot of people end up. But it's definitely worth that. I mean, it's 22 miles, which in Denver traffic can take you 30 minutes. It can take you an hour and 30 minutes, but you're out in the mountains. You're just South of Boulder. It's gorgeous. And yeah, so this kind of stumbled on this little, uh, brewery by accident. I was actually taking my, my Jeep to the car shop in Louisville and found that place and thought that was a good a place as any to sit and wait it out. And, uh, I can't, I can't wait to I can't wait to go there and and see it. I like I said, I'm coming out to uh, I'm coming out for a week and we're just going to go around to to breweries. So, what else have you got for us? Well, to finish, um those are my three breweries that I I wanted to definitely invite you to and I I had your uh taste buds in mind whenever I was looking at these these um you know Thank fruit you inspired beers because <laughs> I don't think that I think you probably told me at one point try, come on just try it just try yeah. it <laughs> um so anyway for today I wanted to grab something light yet sippable picked up this El Ghost by Avery it's oh, only yeah. 4.5 by volume right uh it's got a candy skull label with limes for eyes and I thought that was fitting since we just passed Dia de Muertos and even though Halloween's over, the you know the the, the dead still walk among us. <laughs> that's uh, that according, but, yeah. That that's the old that, going back to the old Samhain, the old Celtic uh, tradition. Until the days start to get longer, the the veil yes. the veil between this world and the other is at its thinnest. So so Avery, which you're familiar oh, with. Oh, I love Avery um, beers. Yeah, they've got they've got this Elgos, which is a German style sour with sea salt and lime. Um, but I am so tempted by the rest of their menu. They've got a Mestopheles. Uh, tell me if you can resist this description. This stout is the crafty shapeshifter, the second fallen angel, he who does not love light. 
Tyranny patiently lies, waiting and willing to do your bidding, but for a price. Enter into his darkness, a tangled and intricate labyrinth of bittersweet rapture. <laughs> All right, now that's a beer with some drama that I can appreciate. Alan, and at 14.6%. Holy cow. That one we should probably have several chaperones for. Right, right. They even have one bolder beer called the Beast, which is a Grand Cru Ale, and that bad boy comes in at 16.8%. So. Holy cow. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're not. We'll uh, Uber it for that. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. Uber to Avery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jessica Machetta, thanks so much. I appreciate your insights. I can't wait to get back out that way, and uh, we'll get together. Hopefully, Marilee will be able to make it with me. And well, uh, tell Marilee we're gonna pop in at Christmas. We've okay. Got a, a, we'll we'll see you guys then. So are you, you and uh, you and um, your new the beau? Whole- the the whole gang, yeah. All we're, right. We're doing, the, we're doing the Denver to Columbia run back and forth. So okay. We'll see you guys very soon. All right. Well, Jessica Machetta, my old dear friend, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, ha, da 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 ya, ha, hey, Cardion Scalabuco. What's the rumpus? Now it's time for what's the rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Our good friend, Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist, is on the phone with us. How you doing, Tony? Doing well, Alan. How about yourself? I am doing great. I've got my coffee. It's a drizzly day here. I don't know how it's back where, uh, back east where you are. but Yes, yeah, uh, it's, it's a little bit, little dry, still, still overcast on yeah, a fine Missouri fall day. Yeah, we've had rain, and it's just, it's kind of uh, blah. <laughs> yep, yep, Missouri winter. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what do you got for us this week? Well, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about kind of our trip to Ireland and kind of how that got me thinking about uh, America's place in the craft beer world, kind of the the craft beer revolution, whether it's it's you know confined within our within our borders or is it, it's making its way out into the world. And so I did a little bit of digging uh, into data uh, and found that you know, to, no, to no one's surprise, the U.S. is the top craft beer producer in in the world. Um, roughly 95% of the breweries in this country are, are considered craft. Um, but but globally there there is there's definitely a trend kind of following following us and keeping up with us uh globally about 94 percent of the nearly 20,000 breweries are defined as craft and there so there are 20,000 breweries out in the world uh the u.s is still the leader in the number followed by the uk germany italy spain france canada the netherlands switzerland and australia kind of round up that top 10 um but what's interesting is is that there are more craft breweries in Europe than in North America? So uh, we kind of we need Canada and Mexico to start pulling their weight. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, it, it, that's uh, the uh, the numbers are, are a little rough. But yeah, there are more in the continent of Europe than there are in North America. Did uh, did your research let you know if uh, how um, are some of those European breweries, especially the ones in Germany? I'd say they're older than what we would call the craft beer movement, aren't they? Some of them, but some of them are, are, are springing up new. But yeah, no, okay. there's definitely more of a mix. There's definitely more of a mix of the older. Uh, and that's something yeah, that I got into as well, because that's something we've talked about a lot, you know, how the smaller breweries were kind of doing their thing over there. Right. Um, and, and, and as a result, the, one, one of the interesting numbers in this study, too, is that uh, while uh, the U.S. has the, the highest number, the U.K. still has more craft breweries per capita. Uh, with 25 uh, breweries per million people, whereas the U.S. it's about 15 per million, uh, and it's 16 per million in Germany. So, but that's what, to, to your point, kind of 
goes to the it's kind of the, the traditional nature of, of having small breweries, especially in Germany, because, um, you know, in, in England, the craft breweries really blew up in, I think it was 2002. Right. When parliament took away the tax right uh, on it so that was a big that was a big spur there obviously our spur was back in the 70s when jimmy carter kind of uh, helped push uh, legislation through but it's still going state by state uh, and you're still seeing that you know down in the south especially right where they're used to being dry and they're still battling that and, and something all americans can agree on is that americans go over the top with everything but they tend to the influence tends to make its way out cult- culturally especially like you know with, with movies and television and entertainment stuff and that's kind of what's interesting that's going on uh with the american attitude it's really taking over the beer world um because we talked about those traditional microbrews in, in the UK and England or Belgium or Germany. And for decades, you know, those brewers, even though they were small, they would just emulate the local traditions. You know, you had UK with, you know, their malt for- forward ales, the Germans with, with, that, with their lagers and wheat beers, and the strong and consistent ales that, in Belgium. And we saw it in Ireland. Everywhere we go, the right. little small town pubs, they all had their own dry Irish stouts and reds. Like, you know, Sean's special stout. Right. Sean's uh, the burn black we had at the roadside. Right. Uh, the Kenmari stout. You know, but they're all dry Irish stouts. I mean, you could really, I mean. Yeah. I will say this. I will say this. That's just recent with them. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, dry Irish stout, of course, was for years and years and years the number one selling style of beer in Ireland. Lager uh, overtook it. Uh, with the young people it was their choice but uh you know in the craft brew the excuse me the craft brew world uh these local these small breweries have just started saying yeah you know we can make a stout too and yeah it's, it's a safe bet you're you're playing you're playing to your consumer palate you're trying to right. you're trying to bridge them over right. you're trying to it's kind of the opposite version of what we've been doing over here but the influence over here is really taken over over there and we saw that too um, where the little IPAs would pop up, you right. know, um, and it, it, like, it goes further. Like and when we went to the underdog and the first beer I went for after, you know, a week of those malt forward, low ABV reds and stouts was I went for the nightfall uh, double imperial stout, right. uh, which is a clap, which is a collaboration between a, a micro brew for pure in London and actually sunset brew in Brazil. Uh, roasted with Brazilian uh, roasted cocoa nibs and coconut, and that, you know it came in at nine percent, and it was something that I was just dying for as, as a change up right. from from the from the static kind of beer that we were having. Um, you know, and I had a black IPA from Old Brother Brewing in Wicklow. Like, so those those influences are really starting to take off, and we saw that in Dingle too at um, at Dick Max. You know, right? They 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 took a chance and made you know a, a real American IPA, and it's starting to 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 click. And that's that was something that I found too, like uh, people writing about it. Um, you know, over the years, those homogenous styles just started to taste the same. And even the small, like the, in the tradition of the homebrew you'd have over there, that kind of went away with, with industrialization, you know, because, you know, as you know, like when you're re- relying on back in the day, they were all microbrews because you didn't get a beer that was further right. away than your town. And, you know, homebrewers would take take some chances. There, were, Every batch tasted different because of something different that happened. So we you lost that traditionally. So even the older beer drinkers are kind of like awakened by this 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 adventurous spirit of trying something new. Yes, I mean, and some of them are giving it a a good try, and some of it I some of them I would say the big breweries giving it um, uh, a half ass try. Yeah, right. Well, we're well we've got to have this kind of beer because this is the kind of beer that uh, we're checking boxes. You know, I right. don't. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, going to single anybody out, but I see a lot of the, the bigger breweries in their crafty, their craft division. They're just not making very good beers. And I think that's on purpose. Yeah. 
trying to water it out? Well, uh, here's what I think, and I, okay, this is this is based not on any empirical evidence at all. This is just what I think. Right. This is what I think. I think a lot of times they don't try to make a good beer in the cra- in their craft beer divisions because they want their loyal drinkers to say, "Well, okay, I'll give that a try." Oh, that's terrible! I don't. I'm never going to drink that kind of beer again. I, I Bernie Fechtel and I've had this conversation many times. I believe that is a strategy that they are employing. They know that they're they know their regular guy, the guy that drinks their Duff Light. They know that guy's going to try their new craft beer, and mm-hmm. and then he's going to say, oh, I don't like that. And then the other thing is, is that of course, uh, they're never going to go. They're never going to try anything new again. It's like it's like people now that won't drink IPAs because they're too hoppy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you need to try them again. I mean, IPAs yeah. have changed. It's it's not it's not your dad's IPA. It's it's not the way we had it back in the old days. <laughs> back know? in the old days of twenty twenty. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So, yeah, I, 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 am curious as to see how this is going to go forward. We live in interesting times, you know, uh, especially when it comes to to beer and craft beer. And I'm really, really interested in to see how this moves forward, especially in the hands of the breweries, the big breweries, as they continue consolidate. And uh, and snatch up other smaller uh, craft beers. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. You got to kind of watch the quality. Right. Anything else for us before we say goodbye? Nope. That kind of that kind of summed up this, these findings. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate you looking into this. We had talked a little bit about this. I guess Asia is still kind of way way behind us on this. It seems like that. Yeah, nobody nobody had made it into the top ten, um, and that'd be something interesting to look into on, right. on its own for sure. How they're how they're doing it. That in Latin America, right, right, you, yeah. I this I'll leave this little tidbit out there. You know, the largest brewery in the world, mm-hmm. the the single largest brewery, not the biggest company, the single largest brewery in the world. Where is it? It's in Lagos, Nigeria. Oh wow! And it, you know who it is? I do not. It's Guinness. Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting history how British colonial, you know, as the rise of the British colonial power in the 19th century, Guinness went with the British Empire. But that's another story for another time. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. Thanks, man. I appreciate you taking some time to do the work for us. Of course. Of course. Always a pleasure, Alan. All right. Hey, have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend. Sounds good, Alan. All right. Take care. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. So that's it, kids. I went way over this week. Uh, Hope you'll forgive me. Please go check us out on Facebook and Instagram at The Brews Traveler Podcast, and head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us five stars, and give us a glowing review. It is greatly appreciated. The soundtrack for The Bruise Traveler is generously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. Check out what's going on with them over at their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So, if I don't run into you at your favorite tap room, I'll see you right back here on the podcast. Remember, drink locally, think globally, take care of one another, and take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And as always, Merrily, thank you for helping me out with the show this week. 
You are the measure of my dreams. I do love you. Thanks again, folks, and so long for just a while. Hemingway, born July 21st, 1899, Oak Park, Illinois, died July 2nd, 1961, Ketchum, Idaho. <laughs>